Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Turn Right Podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to be doing another in our series of analyzing and learning how to write great first chapters. Today I will be analyzing The Hunger Games First Chapter by Suzanne Collins. Um, so if you want to learn more about writing and be on your writing journey with me, I hope that you will keep listening to this podcast and consider subscribing. So I thought this would be a helpful first chapter to go over because I primarily write in the dystopian, sci-fi, social sciences realm of fiction and I think that The Hunger Games obviously has a very solid first chapter but it's not fantastic um, and I think that can really speak to how you know there are so many different approaches to writing a first chapter and I think that it can give us hope because by no means in my opinion is this chapter perfect but it gets the job done and it's efficient and interesting and it really does a nice job of setting up the story. But yet I think that these are imitable ideas and techniques that we can use. Like it's not as crazy as how Cormac McCarthy starts his stories or someone like that. So um, I really don't think the hook is all that strong. It starts out when I wake up, the other side of the bed is cold. That's the first line. That's a very basic first line. Suzanne Collins is just telling us what the character is doing. We don't even know who the character is. All we know is that she woke up, hello trope, and that the other side of the bed is cold. My fingers stretch out, seeking Prim's warmth, but finding only the rough canvas cover of the mattress. I don't know about you guys, but whenever people will read my first chapter... Um, at different critiques and beta readers and whatnot, they always are asking, like, who's this character? Why are you introducing them? Tell me more information. And yet we see that we have no idea. We've read two sentences and we have no idea who the main character is or who Prim even is. She must have had bad dreams and climbed in with our mother. Of course she did. This is the day of the reaping. So in my opinion, this is really the hook. At the end of the first paragraph, this is the day of the reaping. Yet we don't know what the reaping is. I think this is a good reminder to all of us, especially those of us in science fiction and fantasy, not to tell too much, not to give too much backstory. We may be having these really complex worlds, but, you know, just get it out simply like this is the day of the reaping. This is exactly what's happening. And our reader immediately knows, you know, if they didn't read the back cover, they know this is some sort of futuristic or fantasy novel. I prop myself up on one elbow. There's enough light in the bedroom to see them. My little sister Prim, curled up on her side, cocooned in my mother's body, their cheeks pressed together. In sleep, my mother looks younger, still worn but not so beaten down. Prim's face is as fresh as a raindrop, as lovely as the primrose for which she was named. My mother was very beautiful once, too, or so they tell me. We see that within the second paragraph, Suzanne Collins is sort of establishing a voice. We hear some commentary on um, Katniss's mother, some commentary on, Prin's fa on Prim's face and her expression. Um, but overall, this is just very much a lot of setup, limited action. And I don't know about you guys, but I always feel stressed out. I feel like there has to be action. There has to be this really big hook by now. But Suzanne Collins is just telling us that it's okay to tell the story and describe exactly what's going on. Um, I don't know how her book was discovered. I don't know if she had previous works before The Hunger Games. 
I don't know if it was like she queried an agent and the idea was so fantastic they picked her up. I don't know if she went to a conference, I'm not sure, but I would have to say like if I was a literary agent or a beta reader and I had just read that, I would say I'm actually not hooked within the story. So I think that would be interesting to know more of her background. But yet again, like I said, I think this is something that, you know, we can all do. We can all start a story with our characters doing the action introduce a bit of voice and kind of keep our concepts high level and kind of allude to more mystery. I think these two first paragraphs would be stronger if like Suzanne Collins like hit it out with a banger like and there was this definitive explicit statement about the Hunger Games and about how scared Katniss was of them or something like that but this is more um, withdrawn and I only see a little bit of the voice coming out in the second paragraph in these last two sentences. Sitting at Prim's knees, guarding her, is the world's ugliest cat. Mashed in nose, half of one ear missing, eyes the color of rotting squash. Prim named him Buttercup, insisting that his muddy yellow coat matched the bright flower. He hates me, or at least distrusts me. Even though it was years ago, I think he still remembers how I tried how I tried to drown him in a bucket when Prim brought him home. So Katniss tells this little backstory about... The cat, we don't really know why the cat's important. We're just kind of getting a feel of the family dynamic. How important is it really? I don't know. I probably would not start a novel waking up for a dream and then describing a cat. Scrawny kitten, belly swollen with worms, crawling with fleas. The last thing I needed was another mouth to feed. But Prim begged so hard. Cried, even. I had to let him stay. It turned out okay. We kind of see the point now why the cat was introduced. This reveals Katniss's character. It seems like... Um, she is kind of empathetic towards her sister, and her sister is persuasive enough to get Katniss to change her mind, so her sister must be very important to Katniss. But once again, we don't know the main character's name yet. My mother got rid of the vermin, and he's a born mouser, even catches the occasional rat. Sometimes when I clean a kill, I feed Buttercup the angels. No hissing. This is the closest we will ever come to love. So I think that's supposed to be humor. That's not super funny. I swing my legs off the bed and slide into my hunting boots, supple leather that has molded to my feet. I pull on trousers, a shirt, tuck my long dark braid up into a cap, and grab my forged bag. On the table, under a wooden bowl to protect it from hungry rats and cats alike, sits a perfect little goat cheese wrapped in basil leaves. Prim's gift to me on reaping day. I put the cheese carefully in my pocket as I slip outside. In my opinion, this is really where we start to get some better characterization of Katniss. We see that she's a hunter and that Prin gave her a special gift for this reaping day. Our part of District 12, nicknamed The Seam, is usually crawling with coal miners heading out to the morning shift at this hour. Men and women with hunched shoulders, swollen knuckles, many who have long since stopped trying to scrub the coal dust out of their broken nails, the lines of their sunken faces, but today the black cinder streets are empty. Shutters on the squat gray houses are closed. The reaping is until two. May as well sleep in if you can. I think that there could definitely be a more haunting description of this seam. When I think of the movie, I imagine it being a lot more haunting than what Suzanne Collins um, gave to us here. But that's also another important thing to remember if you're writing sci-fi, and that's that readers don't care as much about your world and the cool attributes about it unless they have formed a connection with the reader so or rather with the protagonist so um i guess you know we're hoping that the connection has been formed by giving this backstory about the cat and katniss's sister 
I don't really know that I've formed a connection with her yet, so um, I think I'm probably more intrigued by the setting. But then again, I really do like these dystopian sort of reads. Our house is almost at the edge of the seam. I only have to pass a few gates to reach the scruffy field called the meadow. Separating the meadow from the woods, in fact, enclosing all of District 12, is a high chain link fence topped with barbed wire loops. In theory, it's supposed to be electrified 24 hours a day as a deterrent to the predators that live in the woods, packs of wild dogs, lone cougars, bears that used to threaten our streets. But since we're lucky enough to get two or three hours of electricity in the evenings, it's usually safe to touch. Even so, I always take a moment to listen carefully for the hum that means the fence is live. Right now, it's silent as a stone. Concealed by a clump of bushes, I flatten out my belly and slide under a two-foot stretch that's been loose for years. There are several other weak spots in the fence, but this one is so close to home, I almost always enter the woods here. And we get the idea that this is a very nonchalant activity for Katniss, just climbing under the fence. Once again, I think the conflict could be intensified if we really saw more of a threat from her environment immediately, that's probably what I would do if I was writing this, but maybe that would make things too complex. And, you know, especially since this is YF, maybe we want things to be a bit less complex. As soon as I'm in the trees, I retrieve a bow and sheath of arrows from a hollow log. Electrified or not, the fence has been successful at keeping the flesh eaters out of District 12. Inside the woods, they roam freely and they are added concerns like venomous snakes, rabid animals, and no real paths to follow. But there's also food if you know how to find it. My father knew and he taught me some before he was blown to bits in a mine explosion. There was nothing even to bury. I was 11 then. Five years later, I still wake up screaming for him to run. And this is really the first time I have felt empathy for Katniss. Obviously, her father died. It's very sad. He died when she was young and she still has dreams about him. I think that the novel could have started right here. And if Kat, if Suzanne Collins had shown Katniss waking up in a dream from this uh, image of her father and then going out into this seam, I think that would have made the hook stronger. I am not a published author. I'm not a professional writer. Maybe the lesson I need to take away from this is to kind of set the mood and establish the story first before you re reveal too much about the character or the world. Trespassing in the woods is illegal, and poaching carries the severest of penalties. More people would risk it if they had weapons, but most are not bold enough to venture out with just a knife. My bow is a rarity, crafted by my father, along with a few others that I keep well hidden in the woods. Carefully wrapped in waterproof covers, my father could have made good money selling them. But if the officials found out, he would have been publicly executed for inciting a rebellion. Most of the peacekeepers turn a blind eye to the few of us who hunt because they're so hungry for fresh meat as anybody. In fact, they're among our best customers, but the idea that someone might be arming the seam would never have been allowed. So we get more of a glimpse into the world and we kind of understand it's very dangerous, food is scarce. So I'm not going to read everything word for word because this first chapter is pretty long. I'm just going to kind of go over the high points now that we've really established the mood. Um, I think I first read this book in early high school and, you know, it definitely hooked me back then. So I think a takeaway is for YF, it's okay to be simplistic. As a reader right now, I don't think there's enough emotion in these opening pages for me to really be hooked. Um, there's more attributes of Katniss that is discussed. She talks about learning to hold her tongue and to turn her features into an indifferent mask. She avoids discussing tricky topics like the reaping or food shortages or the Hunger Games. 
again, I think she's kind of just telling about these attributes right now. I also think that that's a problem with the connection and the emotion in the story since she's just kind of telling about these items and we don't really explicitly see or feel the effects of these shortages. So then we introduce a fifth character, Gale. Um, we obviously have Katniss, her mother, Prim, the cat, and now we have Gale. And we get this feeling that Gale and Katniss are very close whenever Gale addresses her, hey catnip. I think the story instantly gets better with Gale, not only because he's hot, but because we have another character for Katniss to interact with. And they tell us about Effie Trinket and how she says, happy Hunger Games. Unfortunately, I cannot really picture how Effie would be saying this if I didn't see the movie. I think there's a very limited description around this. We keep learning more things about this world, like no one can afford doctors, apothecaries are now the healers, and Katniss is not really the forgiving type. So they eat some of the food that they got, contemplate running away and not taking part in the reaping. Understand that they are both devoted to their families and sort of protectors. I am a little intrigued about them running away and kind of not taking their place in society. I think that's a good theme that's relatable in any story. Then another character is introduced, Greasy Say, and we see about the black market. This is something that I think I could really take a lesson from, and that's to only introduce important characters. I have a tendency to include uh, minor random characters for the sake of moving the story, um, and sometimes giving too much context probably around things. So um, I think this is great how Suzanne Collins just really only includes characters that are very instrumental to the story. Then we see this interaction with Madge and Gale, and we understand that Gale is supposed to be nice looking, which is kind of always important in a story. We need attractive men to keep us interested. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. The other real purpose of this interaction with Mage is to kind of show um, the inequity in the in the district. Um, so I think that that was an important interaction and detail. And we also kind of see her juxtaposed with Greasy Say, who works on the black market. Then Katniss gets ready for the reaping we understand that she has a desire to protect Prim, and that is really one of the most dominant qualities about her personality that comes through in this chapter, and that's a good quality. Uh, we can root for Katniss because she wants to protect her sister. Then they talk about fouling in for the reaping, and if you notice, we don't really get a ton of information about like how the Hunger Games started, why they started. We don't get a ton of backstory, which is good and something to keep in mind no matter what genre you're writing. Um, you know, if you're writing historical fiction, you don't want to give too much background. If you're writing chiclet, you don't want to give too much background on the friendships. You just really want to get the ball rolling. But this is especially important for those of us in science fiction and fantasy. And I can already see more cuts that I need to make in my current story because I revealed too much backstory and went into too much detail about things that the readers don't care about yet. Everyone fouls into the reaping. We see the name Effie Trinket mentioned again, so we get the idea she's pretty important. And then we finally go more into the history of Panem and the disasters, the droughts, the storms, how Panem was created. And it's basically 
two sizable paragraphs, but not too long. So that may be a good thing to keep in mind when you're writing. Maybe two sizable paragraphs about the history of your world after you've already established conflict and your characters. It is both a time for repentance and a time for thanks, the mayor says, which is pretty interesting. And then we learn that there is only one victor still alive from District 12, and that is Hamish. And this is a small detail, but it really spices things up. We see his personality, he's drunk, maybe he's very affected by what happened to him. And this adds a lot of intrigue. So, um, you know, after you've kind of already established things, it is a good idea to drop in those little details like that. Effie sings Happy Hunger Games. Katniss and Gail talked about earlier. More of a feel for how she says it, but still not quite like the movie. Um, I don't think Suzanne Collins has that writing style. I think things would have to be slowed down a lot more if she did. Katniss looks at Gail. They're thinking the same thing. There are thousands of slips. Effie draws the name, and it's Primrose Everdeen, Katniss's sister. And that is the inciting event, which happens at the end of the first chapter, which is a very good place to put the inciting event. I would say the best places to put the inciting event are either before the story, within the first few lines, or at the end of the first chapter. What can we really take away from the first chapter of The Hunger Games? We can take away several things. When you're building a complex world, such as the world of Panem, it is important to first establish character and conflict before you delve into the more intricate backstory. We learn that the protagonist should be relatable, likable, and have some flaws. Um, we see that Katniss is very protective of her sister Prim, so that kind of gives us something to root for her. Um, we see that she is kind of affected by her father's death, and that's kind of her ghost. We also see that she has this rebellious or maybe imperfect streak. We know that she can't always hold her tongue. She's doing this illegal hunting with Gale and selling things on the, back, on the black market. We get sort of a hint of a possible love interest or romance with Gale, although nothing explicit. Little details about Effie Trinket and Hamish spice things up and add depth to the novel. There are no insignificant characters or events mentioned within the first chapter. The inciting event happens at the end of the first chapter. The hook is a little weak, in my opinion. The tone is appropriate for YAF, but not as effective for an adult reader. Things that I would have done differently, I would have been a little bit more detailed about the seam and kind of created more of an ambiance and played around with the language a little bit more for my readers. I would have also played up the empathy with Katniss, with what happened to Katniss's father or her relationship with Prim. I would not have started the novel in a dream. I hope this was helpful and you guys can have some good takeaways of how to write a solid first chapter and why this worked for this immensely successful book. Of course, every book is different. Luck does matter a lot. Everyone has different reading styles and styles are different based upon genre. So um, there's a really a lot of good takeaways here. But when I find myself struggling um, with specific parts of the story, I find it helpful to kind of go back and analyze other people's work and kind of see what worked for them. And it kind of gives me some distance from my novel because I can compare what I wrote to what they wrote. But it's important not to go down that spiral and be comparing yourself in every way or trying to fix every little detail.
Let me know what you thought about this podcast by sounding off and writing me a review. Keep writing, keep reading, and keep querying. I'll talk to you guys on our next road trip.